Hey, this is the Student Ministry Conversations podcast with your hosts, Brent Aiken and Russell Martin. We are glad that you're joining us today, and we hope that you find this conversation helpful, insightful, and encouraging as you lead your students in ministry. We wanted to stop and remind you about our social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Talk Student Men. And then we also have a website, studentministryconversations.org, where you can find lots of resources, blog posts, and then show notes for all of our podcast episodes. Today, we are going to hear an interview with Mark Ostriker, and he shares a little bit about developing yourself as a leader. Now, Russell, this was your conversation, so can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. I mean, I had the honor and privilege to sit down with one of the youth ministry greats, Mark Ostriker, or Marco. And if you have been around youth ministry for any length of time, I'm sure you have heard him or seen him speak or read one of his books. Uh, Marco leads the Youth Cartel, which is all about equipping youth leaders. And they have books and host coaching cohorts and a ton more stuff to help you be a better leader. In this episode, we talk about youth ministry leaders, uh, how we can equip ourselves uh, in a variety of different ways for ministry to this generation of youth. Awesome. I'm excited about this episode. So without any more delay, here's Russell's conversation with Mark Ostriker. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the uh, Student Ministry Conversations podcast. My name is Russell Martin, uh, and I'm glad you're joining us. And today we have a special guest. Uh, I'm glad to be joined by Mark Ostriker, Marco, uh, as you may know him. And he has been in the youth ministry world since it began, I believe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, Marco, could you tell us uh, just kind of uh, a 10,000-foot view or a 200-foot view, uh, as long or short as you want, who are you? What do you do? Uh, why are you here? You know, those things. Yeah, you bet. Good to be here with you. Um, well, I've been in youth ministry 40 years. Um, I grew up in Detroit, and then I uh, just kind of slowly moved west. I worked in churches in the Chicago area and Omaha, Nebraska, and then uh, Pasadena outside of L.A., uh, and then uh, Halfway through the 40 years, I took a, a shift and started working for youth ministry training organizations. So I spent a decade at Youth Specialties, uh, which is what brought me to San Diego, which is where I still live. Uh, and then a little over a decade ago, started the Youth Cartel. Um, so these days, that's what I do. I, I lead this organization called the Youth Cartel, and we uh, publish books for youth workers, and we also uh, lead a year-long coaching program, like a leadership development program for youth workers. So that's, uh, yeah, that's me. And I'm a volunteer youth ministry leader at my church. I work with the junior high ministry. That was my 20, I'm heading into my 23rd year of doing that. And I'm currently will be an eighth grade boys, small group leader at my church. Well, well prayers for you with that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It's, I will tell you, it's the, I had them last year, seventh graders. And I think it's my co-leader and I, he's got like 25 years of youth ministry experience. We were agreeing that this is the hardest small group we've ever had. Yeah. Is, that a, is that something like just, just the kids you have, or is it kind of a, an age or the time they're at? Is it a, you know, the generational thing, or is it just these kids? I think it's just these kids. They're, you know, interestingly enough, they're all good kids. They're sweet and one-on-one -on -one, they're all awesome 
but uh, they have greater than you would imagine even for seventh grade boys, they had a complete inability to ever get serious for more than about 30 seconds. So um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty exhausting <laughs> year of trying to lead discussions about spiritual things with this group. And now, yeah. now you're going to do it again for another year. <laughs> now we're going to do it again. I'm hoping maybe they've matured a little bit over the summer. That's, you know, my hope and prayer. <laughs> well, um, so you've, you've done youth ministry, you said for 40 years. Um, and I know a lot of things have changed, but are there any like key things that you have seen change? Uh, maybe not necessarily in youth ministry, but as far as leaders, uh, what skills they've needed or uh, just expectations or things that have changed over, over a period of time. And you can go back as far as you want or, or does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. There's so many things that have changed. I'm just yeah. trying to narrow it down. Right. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to pick uh, one thing that's changed in terms of what we should be focusing on. And then uh, I'm going to pick one thing that has changed in the experience of being a teenager. Um, Cause I do think that um, while the vast majority of youth workers are good people trying hard and that God is using them in all kinds of ways, whatever their level of knowledge or experience or skill, right? Um, that uh, there is also a sense where so many youth ministries are operating with assumptions about success and how to do this and what kids need that are finely tuned for 1986. Um, and um, that a lot of a lot of what needs to change in the practice of youth ministry uh, is really about understanding what's needed in 2021. And that's not just about COVID or coming back after mm -hmm the specific challenges of this last two years either, right? So I think for youth workers, um, in the 80s and 90s, we were still in an era where the uh, dominant need of teenagers was to figure out, uh, the, the fancy word is autonomy. It's, it's how do my choices matter, right? Uh, Fuller Institute has their new book on three big questions. They use the word purpose. Right. Um, and I, I think that youth workers were responding in the 70s, 80s and 90s in a way that was culturally appropriate. I don't know that it was ever the best way to do it, but we didn't know better. And that was to create a fun and active program. Now, there's nothing about there's nothing wrong with being fun. I'm all for fun. Um, and even being active isn't inherently wrong. Uh, although I don't think it's what families are asking for today. Keep my kid busy. Right. Um, and so, you know, great youth ministries in, uh, eighties and nineties, man, it was all about building a fun, active program, kind of like, a, a club, you know, um, and it often led to kind of insular ingrown youth ministries, but it seemed it seemed like it was working because it was a we we did it in a way that was attractive enough that kids came, right? So there was there was I, I guess I would say the false positive of decent attendance 
and short-term wins. Um, and I, I think that the weaknesses of that mindset are now being revealed because it's not what kids want anymore. Um, and most of them don't have space to just have a super busy youth group schedule laid on top of their already busy lives. Um, so if we're going to talk about what's needed from youth workers, I, I think instead of being excellent programmers, what's really needed from us now is to deeply understand and respond to our unique context and to uh, understand how to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, the best two, the most important two uh, ways to have a great thriving youth ministry in 2021 is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and respond to your unique, unique context. And, and that means not just trying to copy everybody else, right? So that's on the youth worker side. On the, on the teenager side, that dominant need has shifted. And we can talk about this more if you want to, but the short story is the dominant need of today's teenager is to find a place of meaningful belonging, at least what they would describe as meaningful belonging, which might not even be all that great. It might be crappy belonging, but it's the best they think they can find, right? And that that lens, trying to find a look, uh, uh, trying to find a place for belonging has become like how v teenagers view everything. So they understand themselves through their search for belonging. They understand God through their search for belonging. They understand their relationship with the world and how everything works. Um, so think of it this way. A teenager in, let's say, the 50s and 60s was primarily asking an identity question. Who am I? And that would help them find where they belong. Whereas a teenager today is saying, where can I find belonging? That will help me figure out who I am. And that shift has, I think, not been addressed enough by enough youth workers. So we're still trying to keep them active and have fun. Active, uh, okay, I guess. Fun, great, in the right, if, for the right motivations. But the real need of today's teenager is to find a meaningful place of belonging that will help them understand who they are and uh, what their relationship with God really looks like. Um, so yeah, I was on the phone with a youth worker um, a couple hours ago, and he was telling me how in their youth ministry, you know, uh, consistent small groups that meet over a, a period of years are really the core DNA of what they do and that they have all, you know, mission trips and camp and um, some fun events and other stuff. And I was saying that it's, while I really believe that you got to figure out what the contextual response is in your ministry, if we're, if our goal is to get teenagers to experience genuine and meaningful belonging and create a safe place where they can raise their honest questions and verbalize both their faith and their doubts. I don't know how you do that outside of some consistent like small group approach, unless your group is a small group, then you can do it in the context of the whole group. Yeah. That was a long-winded, windy answer no, to your question. I, wish I, I had like five questions that popped through my head uh, while you were saying that. I didn't write them down. Uh, but one was, so if I had somebody who was about, who heard this and they're like about to tune off, they have, you know, a little bit of time left. How, how do you, you said small groups. Is there anything else you would add to how to create that space? Because one of the things I think is that doubt is very important. I think we, the church, the church sometimes yeah. minimizes doubt. 
you need to know the answers. You need to be assured, you know, this. And and yeah. I've seen teams, you know, I think one of the reasons teams are leaving is because of they don't have a place to ask questions. Um, so how do you right. create that space where they can, like you said, find that belonging, um, either going on with your small group answer or, you know, anything else around that you'd like to share? Well, first, I guess I would start with that we need we need to make sure we're all on the same page as leaders that we, you know, understand the role of doubt in adolescent faith development. Um, and it can't be a reason for shame or judgment or uh, condemnation. Um, instead, we need to see doubt as like, boy, this is going to be strong language, but I think I believe it. Um Doubt is a developmental necessity for a robust faith that outlasts the teenage years. Um, and, you know, what happens is that uh, as, as teenagers come into the teenage years, they have this new ability to think abstractly, right? And that allows them to start speculating and asking what if and why questions. Uh, and it allows them to exercise third-person perspective and to consider other points of view. And that rearranges everything. And so they come into their teenage years with a pretty concrete faith belief system, even if it's not Christian, whatever it is, they have a kind of a worldview or a belief system that's pretty settled by the time they hit puberty. And, uh, and then slowly it starts to get eroded through their, particularly their young and middle teen years as their experience of life of uh, is finds misalignment with their beliefs. And so like a, an example that I often give is, uh, let's say that there's a, a kid who has always believed, and this is wonderful, a kid who's always believed God answers prayer. And it's pretty simplistic and concrete belief, right? It's not nuanced. Uh, and so this kid, uh, ha, you know, is praying daily for his grandpa who has cancer, and then his grandpa dies. Now, suddenly, that concrete belief, which was a good and beautiful thing, is not enough anymore. It doesn't answer the question of why do I pray or how does it work? And so that kid has three choices at that point. Reject that belief and just not replace it with something else, which is ultimately why kids walk away from a faith that was meaningful by the time they get to their late teen years, it's just been Swiss cheese. There's not enough of it there anymore, right? His second option is to say, well, it's all I have, so I'm going to hold on to it, which is why our churches are often full of people who have a faith. It's just one that doesn't have implications for their daily living because they're 45 and living with an eight-year-old's faith, right? Uh, and his third option would be to examine that belief and go through the work of replacing it with something that's more gray, more nuanced, more abstract, which is where you and I come in, and hopefully where that kid's parents come in, uh, because they often need help in that process. So I would say first, we've got to reframe doubt and questions. They're not always true doubts. Sometimes they're just questions um, uh, as a helpful and essential part of the of adolescent faith development. And then comes the pragmatic question, how do we create a safe place for that to be surfaced? <laughs> it starts with belonging, right? If a kid doesn't feel some level of belonging, they're not going to raise those questions unless they're just trying to be a pain in the butt, right? They're just trying to test you. Um, and so 
there, there has to be that kind of safety and belonging first. And then a climate, an environment where it's been clearly communicated and modeled, this is what we are here for, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, in the practice of my small group, man, if a kid ever raises a question like that, then the, it is almost always reason for me to scuttle what we were going to talk about and redirect to that, right? That's the gooey center of what a small group should be about. Um, now, the challenge, of course, is that they don't, especially with the junior hires that I'm working with, they don't often raise it in helpful ways, right? So it's not like that kid with the question about prayer is probably not going to say, I'm sorry, I know this isn't exactly what we're talking about tonight, but I have some questions about the efficacy of prayer. And I'm wondering if we could look into that mm -hmm. a little, right? Instead, he's, he's going to express it in some other way. And I have to be able to discern, oh, he's got some questions about prayer. And then it, I have to be good at asking questions to get to what the real question is, right? So just like Jesus, we should be more about questions than answers, man. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's, that's like, I was just sitting here, like, again, trying to, wishing I was taking notes off to go back in and, and listen to it and take notes then. But um, we're talking to leaders. So people who are, who are uh, some of them are, as Doug Field said, raise their hand to use the bathroom and end up being the youth leader. Um, right. And some are, are just starting yep. off in youth ministry. So um, as they are hearing this, you know, and I know for myself, I grew up in that 80s, 90s, you know, that 90s youth group who was all about activities. Yeah. And then I became a youth leader. Yeah. That's how I knew to do youth ministry because that's how I was. So, so. Yeah. Me too. So talk about that, like, you know, development of, of youth leaders, like uh, just the importance of training and learning. And uh, are there some better ways to learn or, um, you know, we can't all go get a youth ministry degree. Um, but but what, what are right. some of the things that the ways that you would suggest a youth leader who wants to make that switch from programs to belonging in their ministry program? How, what ways would you suggest that they seek out and find um training or development or uh, whatever they can, can find in that? Well, I'm going to say two things that might feel like they're at odds with each other, at least in tension with one another. The first would be, I mean, you've got to read, especially in this time when there's not a lot of training things to go to, right? To just, I mean, read and listen to podcasts. So let's put listening to podcasts as a category of reading, right? You have to have some diet of um, listening to ideas that will stir your thinking that hopefully God can use to bring about, you know, fresh ideas and approaches in how you're doing youth ministry, how you're working with an individual kid or, or groups of teenagers. Um, so yeah, there's, there's gotta be some kind, I think some kind of input that takes place. And then I would also add to that. I think that, um, then it's hard to do that completely on your own. Um, so to have some means that with which you're processing that stuff with other people, so that could be on your team. Uh, maybe your team is just three people. Great. So read a book together and talk about it and talk about the implications for your ministry. Or maybe you can find a youth worker network with other people that you can process stuff with. Don't jump to like trying to plan events together. Instead, you know, help each other's thinking. Uh, so 
that would be in one thing. The other thing that feels like it's intention with it, with that is just dive in and start experimenting. I mean, you're going to learn more from what you attempt to do. As long as you're willing to have a loose grip on what you experiment with and um, be willing to have failures that didn't work and adjust and try new things, um, that's a, a really critical part of the process. I just find that I've almost always learned more from mistakes and failure than I have from my successes. So got to get out there and just try things uh, and experiment. And I will say, Russell, this is the time to experiment because all of us have been in a really unique phase of the practice of youth ministry in that we have permission to experiment from our churches in a way that is not normally there. Because of the pandemic and now starting to regather and figure things out as we move forward and who knows what's going to happen as we start masking up again and everything, right? Um, all of this stuff, churches are giving youth ministries permission to experiment in a way that is not normally there. So take that opportunity to try new things uh, and be willing to have some of them not work. Yeah. Um, that's one of the, you know, I've, I've experimented and, and seen new things. I'm actually experimenting now because I'm actually now a lead pastor at a church um, versus, versus yeah. being a youth ministry. Um, so as a, as a pastor, as a church, um, and this could be either pre post pandemic, whatever, um, where do we as leaders, church leaders and, and, uh, SPR committees and hiring boards and things, where do we miss stuff with youth leaders? Like what, what, what do you, where do you see the tension between, or what can we do better with our youth leaders? If you were talking to, uh, church leaders or pastors or boards or hiring committees, um, or those who are, once you hire a youth director and you have them there, like what can we do better that you seeing is not being done? Well, I guess the main thing that I think that hiring groups of youth workers have been doing wrong for a while is that they're hiring youth workers for 1986, right? So they're, they're hiring. They're so often looking for a Pied Piper who will go lead this isolated group of teenagers uh, in a way that functions completely separate or almost completely separate from the rest of the church. And, you know, that's another thing that we've learned from good research on adolescent faith development over the last 15 years is that teenagers need to be a part of the church if their faith is going to last beyond their teenage years. If they're active in youth group and not connected with the church, it's highly unlikely that they will stick with their faith and church attendance beyond graduation. Um, so we've got to, I, I mean, those hiring groups have to reframe what they're hiring. They, instead of hiring a Pied Piper to go lead an isolated fun group uh, that meets in a room on the other side of the church parking lot, they need to be hiring. Okay. I'm going to introduce a word that not everybody will be familiar with. They need to hire a gadfly. A gadfly is an annoyance. <laughs> we need to hire youth workers who their primary responsibility is to remind the congregation of their response, the congregation's responsibility to the teenagers in their midst. 
right? Uh, and that youth workers, first and foremost, are supposed to be flag wavers, banner wavers for, for teenagers, reminding us all in your Methodist uh, context, it would rem be reminding the congregation of their vows that they made to kids at baptism, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that that's that's the the most important job, really. And so if we hire people with that mentality, then it's different than saying what we really want is for you to make it really fun and increase numbers. How are you going to do that, right? Because then the expectation is set. And you hire somebody who's going to work toward those expectations, and it's not what's dominantly needed today. You might be able to get the numbers. I mean, I can increase the size of your youth group if you just, you know, let me buy beer for everybody, right? So um, you might be able to increase the numbers, but I would suggest that transformation is not going to increase. No. Yeah. Um, now, I went through a coaching. Uh, certification. Um, and I've utilized all of that information. I've done only done a couple of, of people who I've coached, but within my youth ministry and with my uh, church now, uh, and such. So, um, if I was hiring somebody to be a coach, if I was seeking a coach and finding a coach, like, what does that yeah. do? What, what is the benefit of that? Why should I do that? And what's the benefit of finding that coach? Yeah. Great question. I mean, it goes back to the, what I said earlier about, uh, needing dialogue um, in order to grow. Right. So, I mean, a good coach is going to help you figure out what you, what you need to know or learn or grow in and then help you chart a course toward that. Um, so whether that's, you know, somebody entering into a one-on-one -on -one coaching relationship with you or somebody else who's trained to do that, or whether it's the group process that we use in our uh, youth ministry coaching program. And in our program, you know, we've got 10 youth workers who meet periodically through the course of a year and go through a wide variety of things from some training pieces to uh, some group processes and problem solving to some honest sharing about life. Um, and all of that kind of stuff creates an environment where we're both able to consider new ideas as well as to hopefully get some promptings from the spirit about how we should grow or what we should be experimenting with. Okay. Um, and for me, like I said, that was a, a great process for me, just not the cohort. I didn't do that. I want to do that at some point. Um, I like to do more Enneagram work at some point and, uh, and uh, deal with, all with, with some of those things as well. Um, oh, okay. That's it. Um, what do you tell someone who's now called to, who feels a call for youth ministry? Like if you were going to warn, if someone hadn't entered youth ministry yet, you're going to say, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's what to watch out for. Here's what to, to hone in on. You've already mentioned several of these things. I know you're probably going to have some things going to be repeat. Um, but is there anything else you want to add to somebody who was uh, you know, feeling a call for youth ministry going into post-pandemic, mm. you know, new youth uh, you know, what, what's coming up in the next 10 years or so. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the first thing should be really obvious and that's that you, you've got to get in real difficult, beautiful, meaningful relationships with real teenagers. 
So find a church to start volunteering in or go get a, an internship at, at, at a church or something, right? I mean, I continue at 40 years in this, I continue to learn stuff about teenagers all the time. And it's because I, even though my day job is training youth pastors, my role at my church is the 15 guys in my small group or 12, I guess it is. Um, right. It, that's my, that's my role. And I, as I engage with those kids, uh, that's my primary point of learning. Right. So it's got to start there. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're a young person and you're filling a call to youth ministry, there's, some great uh, higher education options for you to consider for sure. Um, and I totally would not uh, dissuade you from, you know, considering something like that, a youth ministry degree. But I also think that a, a, a lot can be learned on the job in the right place, particularly, uh, as well as uh, through reading and, and dialogue with other people. So that's what I would do it if, if I feel called to it. I would ask somebody like Russell or shoot me an email or whatever. What are the first five books I should read? And, you know, who's a youth worker in my area that I should get to know? Oh, okay. So what, what are the, you don't have to give me five, but what are, what are three or five, what are three to five <laughs> of the books? What do you got? Uh, we'll put them in the notes so people can look them up. Oh, And they can man. be yours or they can be okay. somebody else's, but yeah, you know, just. Oh, that would have been, I would have been great if I'd had a list okay. ready just for Off the top right? of your head. If, I will say, I will say probably the most important youth ministry book written in the last decade, maybe ever, is Ken Dean's book, Almost Christian. It's dense and it's not an easy read. But hey, if you're if you're serious about youth ministry, you've got to read that book. It's better than any other book in defining um, the faith of teenagers today, and uh, and kind of. Pr- how we got here and a little bit of proactive ideation about what do we need to do? So that would be my starting point for people, man, that's going to take you a few months. It's, it's, it's long and it's dense. I personally had to reread many paragraphs. Um, so, uh, that would be a good starting place. Um, I do think that, uh, the, the first sticky faith book, sticky faith for youth workers from Fuller youth Institute would be, uh, a really, really helpful read. Um, I think some of the stuff that I talked about early in this conversation about the changes in the needs of teenagers and the rise of belonging as dominant need, that's stuff that I outlined in a, a book of mine called Youth Ministry 3.0. Uh, there are parts of the book that are a little bit dated because it's about a dozen years old, but that framework, I think, still holds true and is worth reading. Um, I might suggest another little, uh, easy read that I wrote called, uh, what's right about youth ministry. So I had to think about the title. Uh, it's, uh, just a book that, uh, outlines, well, the subtitle is six values that great youth ministries embrace. So kind of talks about what are the things that I should be thinking about in terms of values that would drive our youth ministry. There's four. How's that as a starting um, point? So, uh, I'm going to ask you, you mentioned the, the six values. Can you have just a, three of those values that you uh, mentioned in that book? Or three of the values that you think of right now? Let's see. Well, I've already mentioned a couple of them. So contextualization, 
Mm -hmm. one of them, understanding your unique context and responding to it. And then that the role of the Holy Spirit, how do, how do I grow in spiritual discernment? So whether I'm thinking about what to program or not, or whether I'm figuring out whether I should, how I should respond to that kid's off topic comment in my small group, all of that will be better if I'm following the leading of the spirit rather than just working off my own experience and knowledge, right? So those would be the two. There's um, valuing small, the importance uh, of small as opposed to valuing large. Um, and that, that includes the power of small churches and small youth ministries. There's uh, understanding the role of parents and how to effectively uh, work alongside them rather than in competition with them. Uh, and there's two more. <laughs> well, you, you just created like eight more podcast topics for me to, to talk with about different people. Um, I love the values, the value nice. small and, and small church. And yeah, you know, I'm in a small church now um, yeah. and uh, small yeah. groups. And, and you know, I think there's some things, I think there were some small churches and things that were set up to better weather the uh, pandemic than some large churches in yeah. some cases. Um but yeah. Uh, yeah, so all those are all those are really good. Um, one thing I've asked uh, people on the podcast, I've asked business leaders, I've asked church leaders, uh, what and you can think of this in your context of the youth cartel and what y'all are doing with training. You could also think of it with your small group. Um, are there things that you stopped doing because of the pandemic that you'll never start again? That you you realize, hey, we really didn't need to do that in the first place. Or are there things that you started during the pandemic? that you're going to keep doing that you, that it helped you to realize, Oh, this was a value. Um, you know, example for me was we started doing those zoom hangouts with college students. Um, and I was like, zoom's been here for years. This ability has been here for years. Why right. have I never got the college students together on a Thursday night and did a Bible study or a game night or something like that. So that was, that's an example of that. So is there anything for you in any context that you can think of that you want to share? Yeah, it's interesting you share that example because uh, in the forward to the book uh, or the intro to the book that we published called uh, Youth Ministry in This Season of Disruption, yeah. which is all about doing ministry in the pandemic, I wrote that that I don't think Zoom is going to be, we, click, we quickly learned, we initially thought Zoom is the answer all our problems and then we quickly quickly realized oh my gosh zoom is not the answer to all our problems however i did say in there in that intro i think it's going to suddenly raise this question of why were we not using this with our uh college students who are geographically dispersed it's i'm glad you're doing that um i will say that the youth cartel has stopped a bunch of stuff in the last few years i'm not sure it's because of the pandemic I think we, it's a good thing we had stopped them. For example, we were doing a lot of training events um, and we kind of pivoted away from that uh, just before the pandemic. And it's a good thing we did because uh, that's just a dead space at the moment. Um, in my youth ministry, the youth ministry where I'm a volunteer, um, you know, I, I live in San Diego and it's, it's the best weather year round, right? In the United States. So for example, we, we met online, which I'll just say it sucked and it did not, it was, it did not yeah. work all that well. 
I mean, we got, you know, maybe one fourth of our kids at the most. And it was a holding place. We had to do it. There was no other options for a little bit. But then we started meeting in the church parking lot. And uh, now we're not going to do that this year. I hope we're not going to have to do that this coming year. Um, But we were fine. You know, I mean, yes, it was additional challenges, even for my small, you know, small group, because they were so rowdy and being in an outside space certainly didn't help that. But we met through the whole year in person after a a few months of not meeting. But starting last September, we met outside. And even if it was cold by our standards, right? So I think there was, this isn't a great answer to your question, but there was a sense, there was definitely a sense coming through it that we're going to be fine. You know? Yeah, I don't, I think most churches are not going to get back to their pre-COVID numbers. Like one of the changes that's definitely expedited is that how families define regular attendance is we're going to find it has dropped dramatically. So, you know, I think the numbers that I've seen is that the last number of good recording on that just pre-pandemic was 1.7 times a month of attending Sunday worship was what people thought of as regular attendance. And it was already down from a year earlier being 1.9 times a month. I think now we're going to find that uh, once a month, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but once a month is going to be what a lot of people think of as regular attendance. Um, And there will be some parallel of that uh, in the youth ministry world, I think. Maybe not as dramatically so, because there is teenagers really do value being together. Um, and whereas, you know, I guess it's what you're serving, right? If if what people are doing when they attend church is just consuming, then they can come once a month and get topped off and feel like I'm doing it. But if they're coming, to, if kids are coming to youth group and getting something more than just being entertained or having a up with people talk or something like that, if they're actually experiencing a meaningful place of belonging, then they're going to want to be there more, right? It still might not materialize into the big numbers that we had when we were really putting on a good show, uh, but hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, meaningful, right? So that wasn't a very <laughs> good direct answer no, to your I, question. You got into some great things there. What keeps you encouraged or what should keep me encouraged when, you know, when, like, like, you know, when uh, two years ago I had 80 kids coming on a, on a Wednesday night or 60 kids coming on a Wednesday night. And then all of a sudden that's like you said, you know, down by a third or down by half. Um, it, you know, for me as a pastor, I can see that with a church, but in the youth ministry, what, what, yeah. key, how do we stay encouraged whenever, we realize, oh, this is not what, you know, it was. Everything has changed. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would start with a theological conviction, which is just God wasn't caught off guard by the pandemic, right? And we're going to be fine, right? It might be hard, right? Uh, the decrease in numbers might mean that we have budget challenges, Um 
there's no question that giving is on a on a decline for decades to churches that is uh and it's going to continue to decline um so we might have some challenges to face but those challenges could bring about some healthy experimentation and innovation so i'm not freaked out by it um but then I'm also not in a place where somebody's measuring my worth based on attendance, which I realize is a challenge that a lot of youth workers do have to live with. Yeah. And that's, and you know, or churches or whatever, you know, pastors or, you know, attendance is a, is a big, yeah. big deal. Um, well, it, it has been awesome to talk with you and um, to hang out with you for a little bit. And I know it's been a, a long time in the works of emailing back and forth and, interrupting you while you're in Alaska. I hope your Alaska trip was great. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so um, anything that you would want to close or share or, or uh, to tell us before, uh, as we begin to wrap up? I mean, just, hey, youth worker, be encouraged, man. I mean, yes, grow in your knowledge. Yes, grow in your own health uh, in every way that you could define that. But at the end of the day, uh, God has placed you in this role in the lives of teenagers, and it's not about your brilliance, right? What, I was speaking a week or, two, week or two ago to some kids about the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and we were noting together that the kids' lunch that he contributed was extremely unimpressive in quantity or quality. And it has, you know, what took place there was not about the quality or the quantity of the kid's gift. It was about the quality and the quantity of Jesus's power. And that's directly transferable to our practice of youth ministry. Man, with my small group, I am regularly feeling over my head with these kids. But ultimately... If awesome stuff happens, it's not that it's that I don't play a role because there's no question I'm invited into partnering with Jesus in the restoration of the world, which in this case means working with these junior high boys. Right. But um, it's the it's God that's going to do the transformative work. So I, I, I need to relax enjoy the ride that was that was great like i just want to cut that and make that into a whole sound bite that was uh really really good um where can we uh, somebody wants to find out more about you about speaking about books about uh the coaching the cartel training cohorts all that stuff how do we reach you uh and get a hold of you well the youthcartel.com is the primary place to find me uh and that's got our our books as well as our uh, coaching stuff and everything else on there. I do have a little podcast. Uh, we have a podcast mm -hmm. network actually, but I, one of them is me and it is tiny. It is five minutes with Marco. That's the name of it. So it's just me talking about some youth ministry topic for five minutes. And you can find that on all the, all the places you might find a podcast. Well, um, thank you for joining us. And uh, I hope that you, uh, prayers for you with your small group and your new eighth graders. Uh, thank your you. Eighth graders you're continuing with uh, as you continue that. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It was great to be with you. 
Man, that was great. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us today. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired by this week's episode and that you found tools that you can use as you pour into the lives of the students that you work with. Yeah, and just a reminder, if you enjoyed this uh, or you found it helpful, please leave a comment, leave a rating uh, wherever you're listening. Uh, And also maybe share this with someone else. Uh, Take a moment and share it on social media. Uh, Tag someone you know who could listen to this and also tag us at TalkStudentMen on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So Brent, I understand that next week's going to be a little different. Uh, Can you tell us about what's going to go on? Yeah, so next week we're planning something a bit different than our normal episode style. We are going to be celebrating the first 16 episodes of our podcast by going back and looking at different favorite moments from conversations that we have had. And I mean, it's still crazy to me that we have put out an episode every week since our introduction episode on April 29th. We've had some fantastic guests and some great insight on topics that are all focused around youth ministry, but we've also had a great time learning ourselves from these conversations, which leads me to a bit of a shameless plug. If you have been listening to us and think that you have something to join the conversation with, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot us a DM on any of our social media channels, or you can go to studentministryconversations.org, and we have Facebook Messenger built into our site at the bottom right-hand corner. You can send us a message, and we can talk about getting you on the show, or we'd just love to hear from you in general, whether you have comments or questions questions or ideas for the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope that one message comes across more than anything else with this podcast, and it's that no matter how long you've been in youth ministry, you have a voice and people can learn from your experiences. So we would encourage you to come join the conversation. Yeah, well, I'm definitely looking forward to that and that time of remembering and looking back and then looking forward to the future. So I know we have some other great episodes already lined up and interviews coming uh, in our next kind of uh, fall season. Uh, And so we look forward to connecting with you again. Join us next week. Follow us on socials and we'll see you next time.